Hello and welcome to Speaking Out, Mental Health and Football. I'm your host, Callum Archibald. In this episode, we have the second part of our discussion with Rahul Lakera. Rahul is a sports team doctor who's worked in football for four years. First and foremost, as a GP, I'm very against social media in general. Uh, I think numerous studies have shown that social media has got a strong link to depression. Um, that, that feeling of wanting what other people... I mean, it's only natural for you to want what other people have. So seeing pictures of everyone on their best days and, you know, no one shows you social media pictures or tweets about when they're having bad days. Um, it builds up that inferior complex. So that's just the average person. When you add that into football, and you're right, I mean, it's it's a brutal place when people turn on you. Um, I've luckily never had an experience of that. But it's must really knock you to, and I see some of the comments that are made about players about individuals um, so I mean I might occasionally go on Twitter um, and just see what people have written and it's not nice stuff um, and it's certainly stuff they wouldn't say face to face but you've got to deal with that and I think it's a very hard thing to deal with um, if I had my way I'd tell all players to come off but whether they listen to me is another matter um, so I don't think it helps society yeah. in general and it's saying it doesn't help football players or sportsmen. It's it's the stuff that would have been said when three people are in a pub and one of them says, ah, and they rant. Except now, it's on the internet where the people they're saying about can mm. see. And I don't know, like you say, it's, it is a toxic environment a lot of the time. If your team loses and say somebody scored an own goal, God forbid they go and look at that on social media because mm. you just spiral. Yeah. I, I could ima- I can only imagine being in that situation. It's such a high pressure environment, anyway. Yeah. But to then search out, Harry Kane was talking about in Euro <coughs> 2016. They had so much downtime. Mm. Um, he started to look up his own name on Twitter, see what people were saying, mm. and <laughs> people were not saying nice things back then because he was the one that was taking all the corners. Yeah, and he's saying it just got worse and worse and worse. He was heading out into the into a game, and all he could think about was the boost it was getting. Yeah. It's, just, it's such a new kind of phenomenon and situation and unfortunately you're never going to probably get players off of social media because it's such a money spinner for yeah. advertising yeah. and for clubs and their sponsors yeah all sorts and it's a, a real shame but I think generally it's, there's nothing really healthy about it and I think there's no coincidence that some people I mean, I, I don't know. What, I don't know if Messi and Ronaldo are on. I think Ronaldo's got on Twitter, isn't he? Yeah. But I'm, I'd love to see. I bet you he doesn't manage his account. Put it that way. But it's interesting. Players who are truly world class. I wonder how much are there on it. Mm. Um, because I think it's you've got to protect yourself, really. I mean, there's an interesting thing about England's batsmen and how none of them could. Leading into the last test series, no one was scoring any runs. And one test, I think, against Pakistan, Alistair Cook got the highest runs. And they were saying, well, he's the only one who's not on Twitter, as if it has come some sort of um, safety net for him that, you know, he's not got to think about this abuse or he's not got that short term sort of uh, view in life. He's very much in there for the long haul. Um, and that's kind of gone now with social media. You know, as I said, instant gratification, I think, is not helpful for anyone. No. Yeah, and particularly things like Instagram, where all you're seeing is a snapshot of a situation. Like you say, it's somebody on their best day in their best situation, they've 
angled the lighting and everything to make it look as if mm. it's a perfect situation. People see that. If you're already in a bad kind of mental state, that we, we are, I mean, this is very anecdotal. I've got no evidence to suggest this, but we, we are creating a generation of people with very low self-esteem and a lack of coping skills. And if you put them both together, how have they got a chance? Yeah. They've got no chance. Then you throw them into a high-pressure environment like elite sport where, you know, there is a lot of pressure. I think people underestimate how hard it is going out in front of so many people trying to perform. I know that when I first started running onto the pitch... Um, uh, in front of fans, I was I was petrified, and that was just me running on the pitch to do my job. I mean, no one, and in reality, no one's really looking at me. They're looking at players. I'm I'm couldn't be less important, but I was very self conscious. Um, so I can only imagine what it's like for them. And they're you know they're they're pressures. I mean, the new systems of playing out from the back. I think are we deluded to think that this isn't a pressured environment for players to play these high risk. Uh, sort of types of football um, when all they're going to get is abuse when it goes wrong yeah so yeah it's difficult yeah that's interesting what you're saying that about running on the pitch because um, I guess you don't think about it you just think oh look there's you know, the physio there's the doctor running on the pitch mm. you, you don't give it a second thought but then obviously you're thinking oh my god there's 30,000 people here or there's yeah. however many people here and I've got to run in front of them what if I trip what if this happens yeah so. you're thinking I bend that fall over I hope this goes well I hope it's <laughs> slick um, you know when you run fans will shout stuff at you you've you got to have a particular mindset I think to deal with all that yeah. I'm not saying I particularly have it but I think a sportsman like I said I think you have to have a particular mindset to deal with the adversity you're going to face and I'm not convinced it's discussed enough within football clubs yeah. and I think that would make better players but I think it would make better individuals because they wouldn't see every setback as in the world yeah it's, it is interesting because obviously a lot of it is mentality like you say and different people have different personalities and different ways that they work and yet I don't know I think you'd think that football clubs would be looking at profiling people as a what kind of personality they are, what kind are they going to fit into this, is this the right system, how can we help them, how can we assist them, mm. obviously some of that comes down to the individual people as well, making sure that they're kind of linking up with that as well, but it's like what you were saying earlier they say that it's kind of up here in your head, a lot of it we often say that your feet kind of it's uh, muscle memory with your feet but the real kind of half a second is up here isn't it yeah, I think um, life in general, let alone on a football pitch, is decision-making. It is decision-making. And it's hard because you're having to process a lot of stimuli to try and make the right decision. But, like I said, I don't think we equip these guys to do it. No. So, you are just saying before about the... Um, we're talking about football as recreation, how it can help, you know, outside of professional football. But... What about kind of other activities as recreation for footballers? Where, where? Because obviously that's their job, isn't it? You can't mm. then say, "Oh, let's go play five sides." <coughs> a laugh. Yeah. Because the manager will probably still be watching, and the same pressure still exists. It's not really what if you get injured, that kind of thing. Mm. But is is there perhaps opportunity for them to find some kind of? mental respite in other recreational activities yeah I mean I'm, I'm big on mindfulness for my GP patients I'm a firm believer there are 
different sides to your brain. One side responds very well to physical activity. But then I think everyone has got an artistic side to them, um, which probably wants more... Uh, a, a, more, a more artistic pursuit of some form. It doesn't. I'm not saying you need to paint a picture, but it could be playing music. It could be you know painting, drawing. It could be reading. It could be you know writing. But that's not really. I mean, you can imagine how many young men who play in football would actually take that up as a, an option. Yeah. Um, I think they'd be quite embarrassed to to have a go at that. But in reality, I don't. I don't know how you get respite. I mean, you, you see some players are very good musicians like Petr Cech plays the drums doesn't he um, there are numerous rugby league and rugby union players who play instruments uh, Jack Knoll who plays for Exeter Chiefs he does those, those adult Lego uh, so that his sort of mindfulness um, and all I see from a lot of our lads is they're just on their phones mm. that's their downtime but you will never ever get downtime on your phone that's the same what we're talking about it's the social media thing again yeah. isn't it if you're not playing the football you're looking at what people are saying about football or you're looking at lifestyle mm. it's the same mental space isn't it and even you know oh what's my, my downtime doc it's playing Battlefield evidence evidence has clearly shown exposure to blue light creates a cortisol spike a stress hormone spike mm. That can be if you're watching TV, it can be if you're on your phone, it can be if you're you know, playing Battlefield. You don't necessarily have to be playing social media, but that's just that's just the way it is. But we're so reliant on this technology now that I do fear that a lot of people aren't. They're just never gonna. They, they're never gonna be comfortable in silence. So that's the that's the pinnacle, isn't it? Yeah. We're all looking to be able to have a coffee for five minutes on our own, where we don't have to read the paper, we don't have to look at our phone. We can just look into the distance and be happy with us, yeah. but not many of us can achieve that. No. And I would say, uh, again, using football as an example of a very extreme environment, I'd say even less footballers can achieve that than the average public. Yeah, I mean, they don't have the same space, do they? They're kind of if you're a footballer, particularly in a city like Leeds, there's one club huge fan base if you're a footballer and you try to go into the city centre for a coffee you're not going to get no you're going to get very far probably like you're going to be you could probably sit there for five minutes and two three four people would probably go oh that's so and so a couple of probably come up and try and talk to you it is hard for a lot of them to get any peace but even if they could I'm not sure if they'd make best use of that peace either Um, I think what the Possibly the best thing that's come out of, for me, the World Cup was the fact that there was so much emphasis on the psychology of the England team. And uh, I've forgotten her name, the, the female psychologist who's done great work with them. Um, and them riding on inflatable unicorns in the pool and doing yoga and meditation and just doing things that can make a real impact. But for years, men have shunned because it's unmacho. You know, girls do that. And in reality, they were doing their best to try and look after their mental health in a very stressful situation. You know, I'm sure they're aware of what pressures and how much the nation wants them to succeed. Um, if they're going on social media or Googling or Twittering, then, you know, looking at their name in Twitter. And I think that's possibly the best thing that's come out of it. Uh, you know, forgetting the results and forgetting how well they've done. I think it was there, for the first time there was a real confrontational... Um, a real confrontation of the, how macho you need to be to play football it was almost like the myth had been exploded yeah I think that came from the top though didn't it because Gareth Southgate is somebody who knows 
all about the kind of pressure environment. And we've spoken at length about kind of after he missed the penalty in '96, what went through his mind and his mental state. And he's been really big on creating like a happy, positive environment for his mm. players to to thrive. And they were asking him even simple things like um, asking about like, the families and stuff. Like, oh, are you going to ban the, the wives and the kids and all that for coming? He said, "Well." No, because think about it. If you've got somebody who's at home and they've got a three-week baby and they've got to leave for six weeks and go to the World Cup and you're saying, no, you can't phone them, you can't see them, you can't have any contact with them. What, what's going through their head in that situation? Like, it's like anybody else. It's not a normal environment. How many people would be dragged away aside from, you know, obviously jobs like the army and things like that for weeks at a time from their young family? Yeah, and that and your, your playing colleagues become your family... Yeah. because you have no one else you have no free weekends you have no one else to see and it's not always the healthiest scenario because you might not always get on with your playing colleagues <laughs> you know you might clash you, yeah. you, there's a lot of egos and personalities in the sports team and that could be management let alone the players um, so it's not an easy scenario um, so yeah I think they did really well to address that Yeah, I think that's positive as well because it's come from England the national team in such a high profile situation hopefully some of that can kind of filter down because if it had happened at say oh, there's, this, there's a League One club and they're doing this fantastic thing you wouldn't get the exposure that it would at the top level no unless they were you know did really well and got promoted or something like that yeah, but no, but how did you do it and yeah. it's, it's all after the fact of that kind of thing isn't it rather than look at this positive impact they're making just because it's helping the people it's look at this positive impact that has translated to success on the pitch there's a very interesting book I'm reading at the moment called Legacy about the All Blacks and how they can use their their ways of working in, in business and it's just very interesting their approach it couldn't be more unfootball like in terms of the leadership roles players have the responsibility players have the mantra that better people make better all black so they pick on character not necessarily uh, on talent um, and that's all alien concepts for football you will pick the best player I mean your player could have done something you know ludicrous like I don't know pushed a granny over on a scooter but if they're your best player I bet you majority of managers would pick them the next week there's no real accountability in football it's very you know and I think I think the players have got I think players have gotten on to that there's kind of I'm not saying all these players are awful people but there's not there doesn't necessarily have to be a moral standard um, because you know you'll get picked regardless even as you go down levels if there's talent there no matter what I mean look at Noel Ranger the issues that he's had personally is it is he in prison he's in prison now isn't he uh, is he the Newcastle the one was at Newcastle yeah. yeah who's been arrested well half a dozen times and yeah, he still manages to find a club because there's talent there mm. and each manager even as he kind of drops down the divisions each manager thinks well he was good enough to be a championship or Premier League player he's only at this level because of his issues if you can start with issues maybe you can mm. and, and you're right that kind of he can get in trouble as much as he wants when he comes out of prison he's probably going to get another club Joey Barton did yeah probably, probably. <laughs> he's going to earn vast amounts of money <coughs> to do so so I think people um, I, I, I think people don't think about the effect character has in a team dynamic in terms of 
not only the individuals and their ability to get better and succeed, but also even the character of players being vulnerable with each other. So you have that real team spirit and fighting quality, almost like the army, you know, mm. almost where you think, well, I would do anything for that person. Yeah. Um, it's just not talked about, you know. It's not what men do in this in that in that environment. Yeah, and it is it is like that, isn't it? Because if you're a football team, your your success individually is dependent on the success of the group of the team. That's every single one of you. Yeah, massively. I, I think no sport in in a team sport there is never an individual who can. I mean, you can do. It. I mean, look at Neymar's at PSG. Look at you know, I don't know. You can use like loads of individual people you know, examples, but not many will make. I mean, Ronaldo. I know he had a great start to the World Cup, but he couldn't master the fact that Portugal weren't a great team overall. You know, um, so even but, Messi and people like that. There's only so much they can do individually. Yeah, at the end of the day, if your goalkeeper's dropping three goals through his hands every game you can't score four goals every game and win four three exactly uh, it's, it's a team game isn't it there's only so much an individual can do exactly but again this is my brief experience in, in football I don't think it's talked about I mean maybe the top clubs do maybe they do but I don't think that sort of stuff's tapped into and I think it, it would possibly make them better men as well you know I think they'd have maybe more uh, more of a sense of their emotional capacity and it wouldn't be as alien and scary when they're exposed to that emotion when they stop playing or something doesn't go well because at the minute everybody's talking about kind of the contrast between players that uh, managers like Guardiola and Klopp who clearly make it a happy environment for their players to play in and you can see that translate into on the pitch to somebody like Mourinho twice a week will come out and tell everybody that Luke Shaw is overweight and mm. tell somebody else that they're rubbish and look I've played Rashford and you can't hit a barn door so I'll be playing him again mm. and that kind of thing it's just interesting to see how at the top the manager how their personality reflects upon the group the, team, the group yeah. because it is it's a team and that includes the manager the manager is the, probably the most important part of that entire group because whatever their personality and outlook is reflects upon mm. that team. Well, they'll set the tone. And again, talking about you know the players as children, that is their headmaster. That is their. It's almost all eyes. They're looking for instruction from that person, um, and for them to have to think for themselves uh, can be a scary alien concept it can be quite daunting you know because they're used to receiving instruction all the time how many times do you see football managers almost living the game on the touchline you know going through everything when in reality I mean the guys on the pitch are the ones who have to make the decisions so I, I wonder how much of that animation actually will ever come across to, yeah, to players because like, you look at people like Jürgen Klopp and uh, you've never seen anybody that's animated who's not on the pitch mm. in your life but how much of that actually makes a difference mm. if he was to just stand there mm. instead of jumping about would mm. that make a difference or is that a part of the I don't know I mean I guess of the I guess with, I mean I've never looked at Klopp in detail what he does but it's I don't know whether he's just excitement or is he giving constant instructions mm. um, I, I think there's a difference to someone who gives constant instructions to then not let that person eventually work out for himself. I mean, yes, it will be at the detriment of losing games because they have to work out themselves. But that's life, isn't it? Yeah. We all learn from our mistakes. 
Um, and if someone's constantly telling you what to do and pointing in the right direction, you will. I mean, I know I would. I would stop thinking for myself because I think well, I don't have to anymore. But then when I have to think of myself, I'm in for a big shock. Well, a certain, like, even in, on a football pitch, you can train somebody to win an inch of their life, you can practice a move a thousand times, but then what happens when that doesn't, you know, what happens if something unexpected happens on that pitch? Mm. They have to think for themselves in that situation, there's no other option. But like, if they're so ingrained into not, mm. how can they? And that is football in a nutshell. Like, you know, we, we really have made individuals become very dependent on others for all sorts of things you know houses how they live food um, decision making and all sorts of life and I just don't think that's the healthiest thing for them no I think all of those things just create an environment that for a lot of people can be very unhealthy and at the top level because there's so much pressure these are these are the best of those groups that didn't make it everybody that's playing football was the best in their age group mm. but that, you have to be to make it and then we get into a situation where they're now maybe not the best in their age group and they have no individuality they're, they're just part of this team they're all instructed what to do it's just such a tough environment to, to and that, that goes with the mental toughness and the grit aspect I mean there's been numerous tests on what makes you successful it's probably grit and it's more grit than talent and I think there's no coincidence that you see a lot of players from poorer backgrounds Alexis Sanchez from South America African players who make it because there's more on the line for them because you know Lukaku spoke openly about how he knew when he was poor because his mother was mixing uh, milk into the, bread into the milk or water into the milk to thin it down because they didn't have enough money. Um, and that creates a different setup in life, doesn't it? Uh, uh, a necessity. Um, and I'm not wishing that poverty on any player, but if they haven't got that, um, that, that drive uh, or that sort of that grit in, in them, it's very hard for them to succeed in life, let alone as a footballer. And then if it's not taught at the football club either, if they're not saying, all right, this is adversity, how do we get around it? What are the thought processes? How do we block those bad thoughts? How do we push you into a more positive space? How do you make this actually become a situation of gratitude where we're thinking actually this was a real experience and blessing? How do we change your mindset? No one talks about that. No one talks about that in life. So they can't handle it. And like you said, a lot of these guys have been told they're the best thing since sliced bread from the age of eight to 18 and then they get told they're not good anymore I, I don't know about you but I wouldn't feel great about myself if all of a sudden I wasn't being told I was great anymore um, so we kind of you know as I said we've created a rough throwing back within within the sport I think um, and I think it's, it's bearing fruit now yeah unfortunately yeah and that's, I think that's why it's important that more people kind of come out and talk more openly about Issue. even if it's former footballers that talk about look this is the issues that I had and this is this is why because the environment's still the same it might have changed a bit yeah there's more money there's probably more sports psychology done but the issues are still the same like football is football um, so it, it really is important that more people are more open about it and it just comes down to that natural environment again though isn't it how are people going to talk everybody is thinking the same thing well I can't do this because what if 
you know, they, they're not willing to relinquish that masculinity to be weak. They think that by saying that it makes them weak, but that's not the case. But unfortunately, that's it's a societal issue with and a cultural issue, maybe with men in general. Mm. But in that sports environment, like you say, it's ingrained into people. You've been playing in a team environment for so long. You put your best foot forward. Mm. You outwardly project everything. And well, I, I know I was speaking about the matchness of rugby players, and I said, "Oh, footballers, you know." they sometimes dive around a bit to win a free kick there's definitely a toughness to them don't get me wrong physically um, they go through a lot of training a lot of them are quite strong um, yeah, but there's a constant word that's always used and it was used in rugby as well and it was used in it's used in football soft you're soft you know God forbid you're the guy who gets labelled as soft and that's an issue you know even the connotations of being soft mentally, physically, you don't want to be that guy. Um, and that's, I guess, where all the front comes from. And that concludes Rahul Lakera's discussion. I'd like to thank Rahul for speaking and thank you for listening. If you could please share, subscribe and review the podcast wherever you can. And you can also follow us on Twitter at out underscore pod. That's O-U-T underscore P-O-D. You've been listening to Speaking Out Mental Health and Football.